It's just so lovely to be together for a Sunday morning meeting after so long. Um, I, I can confirm that I'm not the Ian Young that uh, um, was mentioned before. Um, uh, many years ago, um, I started a job in Queens. Uh, I was in the Department of Geriatric Medicine at that time. I was a researcher, and I got a letter from the university saying, um, you've won a, a prize for being the, uh, the best medical student in the year. And this was a surprise to me um, because I'd never done medicine. Um, and so uh, I went to the Queen's admin and said, I'd be very happy to take the money, but in fact it's not me. And it was that other Ian Young, the one that was mentioned before. He had just, he had just qualified as a, as a medic and uh, named, the name fooled not just, not just uh, me, but others. Right, I want to look at um, Joshua this morning. And uh, in the Bible, Moses uh, led the people of Israel for many years and Joshua was then appointed to be a successor. And I want to look at a few verses from Deuteronomy and then a few verses from the beginning of Joshua. And I think if we could have those, the Deuteronomy verse first, we'll just go through that very quickly just to read it. It says, Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give him. And you must divide it among them as an inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And then if you move on to the, uh, the Joshua verses. And these are very similar. It's, it's interesting. Uh, this is God speaking to Joshua. In the first set of verses, it was God speaking to Joshua through Moses. And then in the second lot of verses, it's God speaking directly to Joshua. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Meditate on it, sorry, uh, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever we, ever you go. Now Joshua was appointed to be the next leader. And he'd been faithful assistant to Moses for many years. He was the right-hand man from an early age. And here we see he's appointed as Moses' successor when Moses is about to die. And we're all used to the idea of applying for a job. We make up our CVs with all the most exciting facts we can think about ourselves, uh, all our achievements, and we get references, people that will speak for us. And here is part of Joshua's rather impressive CV for being next leader. Under the experience section, under military experience, in Exodus 17, it says that Joshua led the Israelite army into battle against the Amalekites. And you may remember the story, whenever Moses stood on top of the hill and raised his hands in the air, they were successful. But whenever Moses let his hands go down, they weren't. So her and Aaron 
held Moses' hands up and Joshua led the army to a great victory. Under his God experience, in Exodus 24, Joshua went with Moses up Mount Sinai to meet with God. And uh, that was where Moses was given the Ten Commandments. And even though Joshua may not have been exactly there when it happened, he probably saw the glory of God coming down from a distance. Under, under faithful experience, in Numbers 13, Joshua was one of the 12 spies that was sent ahead into the Promised Land to suss it, suss it out. And 10 of the spies reported the land was good, but the people who lived there were too strong. They were scary. And they gave a negative report. And Joshua and Caleb also saw the same thing, but they concluded, we can do this because God is greater. And then in his list of references, you would find a reference from God, which is not bad. Which is not bad. Um, in number 27, God said to Moses uh, to commission Joshua in front of the people and give them some authority because, quote, he has the spirit of leadership. Now that's quite a reference. And if Joshua had applied in a normal way, you would expect him to have got the job. But of course, we don't apply the job with God. God chooses us. And um, in truth, God chose Joshua many years before we see him in this story. And uh, it, this was only, uh, it'd been made official. God's calling isn't always as straightforward uh, as with Joshua. We don't see the struggles that Joshua had um, to actually get where he was when he was appointed. And uh, it's interesting because it's perhaps done, that, uh, done like that in the Bible because Joshua is seen as a foreshadow of Jesus who was to come. The name Joshua or Yeshua in Hebrew is, um, means salvation. And translated into Greek, it's Jesus. So Jesus and Joshua really have the same name. And also Joshua followed after Moses, the lawgiver, whereas Jesus came to fulfill the law as God intended it. There are a lot of parallels between their lives. Sometimes when God calls us, our reaction isn't always positive. Let's be honest. Uh, we, we, we might say, no way, not me, get someone else. I can identify uh, with Gideon in Judges chapter 6. It's worth having a read sometime of, of Judges 6 and 7 to look at how Gideon reacted when he was called. God sent the angel of the Lord to Gideon and the angel of the Lord find, find, found him hiding in a hole. And uh, he was dressing wheat, hi, hiding from the, his enemies. And Gideon's reaction to God's calling wasn't entirely positive. He thought God had made a mistake. He would like to have said to the angel of the Lord, have you tried the, the hole about a mile up to the, to, to the right here? Because he, he thought, no, not me. His reaction was, I am the least person in my family, and my family is the weakest clan in my whole tribe. Why are you choosing me? And uh, he was saying, I'm a nobody. He was also afraid what God was asking him to do. The angel of the Lord did bat an eyelid. He said, uh, he called him a mighty man of valor. Now, this was not, he was not being ironic. Um, he was actually stating how God saw Joshua. Sorry, how God saw Gideon, apologies for that. Um, even though Gideon hadn't quite got there himself. God does not remember our mistakes, 
even though so often we do. God saw Gideon as a mighty man of valor, and that's who he became. Despite his initial misgivings, his worries, he became that mighty man of valor. If you look at the Men of Faith Honors Board in uh, Hebrews 11, you find the name Gideon. Let us not dwell on our own weaknesses and our failures, because God doesn't. He sees us as the mighty warriors that he's designed us to be. And God is calling us to step forward, maybe into doing something new that we haven't done before, or maybe to revive something we've done before but aren't doing at the moment. So when we come out of the pandemic, the lockdowns, the physical isolation, our church needs us. You remember there is a famous World War I Lord Kitchener poster, and he's standing looking straight up, uh, straight out at you uh, with his finger pointed, and uh, your country needs you is what it says in the bottom. God is looking at us, straight at us, and he's saying your church needs you. We are needed, just like Nehemiah, to build up the walls that have been broken down. And it's interesting to see things that God said to Joshua. Um, he spoke first to Moses in Deuteronomy 31, and then he spoke to Joshua directly. Sometimes God speaks to someone else, and they come and tell us what God is saying, but ultimately we need to hear directly from God. So that's why we're looking at both of them. And the language used is very interesting. It follows the same pattern. If we have a look at uh, the Deuteronomy verse from the, from the beginning, um, God starts off with, uh, be strong and courageous. He's asking us to exercise our faith, to put our trust in him, to believe in his promises and to step out of them, not to rely on our own ideas and our own strength. And often, to put God's promises into practice, half the struggles we have, let's be honest, are with ourselves. I remember learning to ride a bike my parents bought for me when I was about seven. We lived in a flat over the shop where my dad worked, and out the back was a big yard which was ideal for learning to ride a bike. Well, ideal until you fell over. And to start with, I had difficulty getting my feet off the ground, because when I did, I fell over. And then, I hadn't quite worked out this balance thing. Um, and then when I started to get the balance thing, I tended to ride straight in the fence because I got the balance bit a bit, but I couldn't get steering. And my mum came out to help, and she held the back of the bike steady while I started to pedal. And after quite a lot of problems, I finally managed to work out and, and cycle. And it's interesting because after you were able to do it, it seems so simple. Um, so what God's saying to us is, trust me, go for it, be strong and courageous. Um, earlier on in the year, there was the Vineyard National Gathering, and there was a, one of the guys speaking was Jordan Seng, and I heard him before a couple of years back, and he's very interesting because um, he talks all about the life of tribe, and what he's saying is, what God is wanting for us to do is to try. It doesn't matter what we fail, 
the important thing is that we try. And he says, when you fail, uh, next time, fail better. And I, I just love that. And uh, It's worth a look, I think it's on, um, for any of you that have got some time on your hands, uh, it's on um, YouTube, I think. Ephesians 6 says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The Lord is the power source and we need to plug into him. And also, God is totally committed to us. If we look at Deuteronomy 31 and verse 8, which I think is um, the second part of the verse, um, God has a promise. It says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. It is such a strong promise, such a strong guarantee. We're all used to guarantees and warranties when we go and buy things. And when we first got married, we didn't have too much money, and we bought a car, and uh, when we bought the car, we were offered a two-year warranty. And it seemed like a good idea at the time. So, when the car developed a serious fault, uh, just before it was two years old, we confidently took it back to the garage for it to be repaired, only to find the small print had kicked in. Apparently there was a, a mileage you couldn't exceed, and we'd exceeded it by only 10 or 20 miles, so we had to pay the bill. We weren't covered. When God makes a promise, he says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. His guarantee is straightforward. No small print, no sneaky letter clauses, absolutely comprehensive. Like the well-known advert, it does what it says on the tin and it applies to all of us. And the Lord going before us means he knows in advance what's happening in our lives. He has won the victory already. He has a perfect plan. The only problem is sometimes we don't ask him what that plan is. He wants a relationship with us. I will be with you, he says. That's relationship. And he's totally committed to us. I will never leave you or forsake you. We've got three grandchildren at the moment, with another one on the way. And as all grandparents here will know, it is a privilege to become part of your, children, your grandchildren's lives. Of course, it can also be tiring. We sometimes look after them, we play with them, lift them up, give them a hug, go for a walk with them, talk to them, listen to them, laugh with them, read to them, hold their hands to guide them safely, watch over them, and of course, have fun with them. And uh, about two weeks ago, I was playing with uh, Joseph, my youngest grandchild, he's two, just, just turned two. And you try to make up any little game just to get him interested. And so I pretended to be asleep and he would wake me up, he would say, wake up, pa. And then, um, and then he would go to sleep and I would say, it's morning, wake up, Joseph. And of course, when a toddler gets hold of that, he likes to play it again and again and again. <laughs> so that was fine. And then about a week later, uh, Joseph's parents said to, me, said to us, there's something funny happening uh, here. Um, every time we ask Joseph to do something he doesn't want, he lies down on the floor, he closes his eyes, he pretends to go to sleep, and he makes this uh, loud, fake snoring noise. I, I don't know where he got it from. <laughs> and let me give you a look. But God wants to be part of our lives, just in the way that we love to be part 
of our grandchildren's lives. He wants that close relationship with us. He wants to hold our hand and lead us and guide us and spend time with us and talk to us and listen to us and find out our problems, how we feel, what's happening in our lives. He wants to teach us, to encourage us. He wants us to know that he is committed to us and he will always be with us. And then, um, just as uh, Joshua was told, be strong and courageous, uh, then towards the end of the passage in both, in, in both of the, uh, the, the Deuteronomy version and Joshua's version, uh, he's told, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Fear and discouragement are two of the enemy's key weapons against us Christians. Haven't we seen them in action over the last 15 months with the pandemic, the lockdown, job uncertainty, isolation, loss, not being able to meet together physically as a church. The enemy uses fear and discouragement in our lives like tossing a stun grenade, such as the SAS would use in hostage situations. It goes off with a blinding flash, a loud bang, maybe smoke, in order to confuse us, disorientate us, isolate us, and cause us to fear and be discouraged. Standing firm when everything's going wrong is not an easy thing. Our feelings can be so easily uh, affected by difficult circumstances, hard problems. And God wants us to trust in Him when everything's going pear-shaped. And I can remember times when I felt totally crushed and despondent uh, over things that had happened and uh, I needed to hang on to God to get through. The enemy's strategy is to cause us to defeat ourselves by taking our eyes off the Lord and forgetting who he is. Remember the enemy is described as being like a roaring lion in uh, 1 Peter 5. He can't stand up against God, but he tries to persuade us to give up, to surrender. He tries to tell us that the road ahead is blocked by a brick wall, that we're in a cul-de-sac. And um, if we continue forward in God's strength, we can break through. We can, if we keep going, we'll realize that the road ahead is not closed. When sudden or difficult circumstances happen, that's when we need to stick close to the Lord. And also, we need the support of each other as Christians. The church is God's plan for us as Christians. And it's not just God himself, but it's the other Christians, the people around us. Church is not, not an individual thing. We see at the Olympics many athletes who it's them against all the rest of the field. Um, and it's up to them to go and win. But in the, in the church, it's all about, church is a team game. And God has set up the church so that when one person is suffering, then others can support. And uh, we, we see this in any team sport, in the Olympics or in the recent football Euros, uh, you see how much in a successful team they all rely on each other. And they work together because you win or lose by how well the team plays as a unit. How they celebrate together after a win, how they console each other when they lose. COVID has divided us physically from each other with social distancing and lockdowns. And like so many others, I found it very difficult not to be able to meet with people. But how much more now do we need each other's support and prayer? And then if we look at um, the words that God spoke to Joshua 
uh, in Joshua chapter 1, um, and we'll read through um, what he said about the Word of God. He said, Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from the right or the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will, be, you will be prosperous and successful. God gives Joshua a recipe for being strong and courageous. This is God, the team coach, talking tactics to us, reminding us about going back to basics, how to feed our faith, to trust in him, to rely in him, and not let our emotions take over. The Lord says, do you want to be prosperous and successful? Now, of course, you've got to define what it means to be successful. In the world, successful means putting yourself first, and many people aspire to be famous or important or rich, or maybe all three at the same time, who knows. Um, and the way to get ahead is to put yourself first and do what pleases you. Success in the Christian life is the absolute opposite. We seek to please God alone, to love him and follow him, to do what he calls not to please ourselves, to put others first, to be rich in spirit and achieve things spiritually. He reminds us not to get sidetracked. Do not turn from it to the right or the left. Now, I don't know about you, but personally, I find it all too easy to get sidetracked. And, you know, we can get caught up with things in our lives that themselves aren't uh, bad in any way, but just they, they sort of come up our priority list so the Lord moves down our priority list as we do all these other things. And it's interesting because uh, there's a verse in the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon is an interesting book. It's a love story, a love poem. And the man in the story who represents Jesus says to his love, represents us, uh, uh, in the Song of Solomon 2 and verse 15, catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. In other words, there are things in our lives, small things, but which can add up to mean that we just don't have that same priority uh, with the Lord and putting him first in our relationship with him. And it's interesting that uh, the man here representing Jesus says, catch us the foxes. In other words, together with him, we can put these things right. Sometimes we need a mid-course correction to get things right, perhaps more so because in the, in the lockdown, uh, we've had to do all sorts of things to keep ourselves sane, um, and now is the time to look at what we do and say, are these the things that we should be doing now? God reminds us that if we want to go spiritually, we need to listen to his words, spend time with him and in the word. In the beginning of John's gospel, the introduction says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was, was God, and, and the word was, sorry, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is the word. He is the word of God. The word of God is living because it was written by him. So when we read the Bible, we talk about it, we think about it, we absorb it, we make it a priority, we let it sink in and percolate, uh, we can turn to the Lord and say, what did you mean here? What is it you want me to do today? And uh, we need to be careful to follow the words that he gives us. Um, it says in Hebrews chapter 4, for the word of God is living and active and powerful. 
In Ephesians 6, it describes the Word of God as the sword of the Spirit. His Word is alive and powerful, and together with the one who wrote the Word, we can have success and be prosperous in our spiritual lives. Sometimes we read a Bible passage, and when we read it, suddenly a verse or a part of a verse lights up and speaks to us directly. The spirit behind the word connects to our spirits, and suddenly we see it in a new light, even though we've read it a hundred times before. It's the word for, the, for now. It's maybe telling us what to do in a difficult situation. There is power in the word. There is power in speaking the word of God. The sword of the spirit talks of an offensive weapon, and sometimes we need to speak the word of God in circumstances. Uh, to bring Jesus' authority into a situation. We can come before God in prayer and quote him the promises that he wrote and stand firm. So, in conclusion, let us listen to the voice of the Lord in our lives. What is he saying to us today? Let us be strong and courageous to do what he asks, for he promises, I will never leave you.